Cameron Vaughn and the Metabolic Studio offers the Explorers Club to share meaningful journeys, encounters, and projects in an intimate setting at the Metabolic Studio. Session 24, August 26, 2016, features Diego Blanco in his talk, Birds of California and the L.A. River. Let's tune in, connect, and listen. To start off my talk, uh, I wanted to sort of give you an intro to California birds. I got the chance to go to the Central Sierra, uh, right there on the map, the middle region right at the bottom of the uh, lighter green. I got the chance to go to the Central Sierra with Western Field Ornithologists as a youth scholarship recipient. Um, and Western Field Ornithologists does a lot. It's a group made, uh, made up of amateur and professional ornithologists. So they do a lot of research and a lot of uh, science work with birds of Western North America that goes down into Mexico too and uh, into Canada. So really the primary science, ornithological science organization of the Western coast of uh, North America is WFO. So they do an annual uh, research trip, um, research and fundraising trip. So this year they went to the Central Sierra and we were looking for things uh, like signs of breeding birds and just trying to get sort of a survey of what birds um, were there, what we could find. And we visited a whole uh, array of habitats, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, so here, to get started, I'll show you some of the typical birds uh, and some of the birds that we saw. This is a white-headed woodpecker. Uh, inhabits very, really dense forests. So um, that's a representative of one of the habitats that we got to see. Uh, Lewis's woodpecker. Um, really unique among North American woodpeckers because of the coloration and just the behavior. They don't, they uh, catch flying insects by flying off of perches and going back. And they're really, really interesting. Uh, that's a spotted owl. We did hear a spotted owl. They have really interesting vocalizations. They have a really wide range of sounds they can make. Uh, and they're an endangered species. They're being uh, outcompeted in parts of their range by the barred owl, uh, really close relative. They're actually hybridizing in some places, and um, they're really, really hit hard by habitat loss too. So that up there is a Swainson hawk. Um, they were breeding when we were in uh, the Sierra, so we got to see some nests, which I'll, well, a nest, which I'll show you. A sandhill crane, also breeding. Uh, Northern goshawk. Pileated woodpecker, mountain quail, and Stellar's jay. As you can see, the Sierra has a really uh, wide range of habitats that you can find in it, which is typical of a lot of California. So, um, again, this is sort of a marsh meadow area. That bird down there is a white-crowned sparrow, but it's um, the subspecies uh, Oriantha, so it looks different from other white-crowned sparrows that you'll find in other parts of the um, of the Sierra and other parts of the continent. Um, and they exhibit what's called geographic variation, so they look different from place to place, uh, which is sort of an indicator of how, again, um, diverse the habitats are because birds have adapted to um, specific habitats um, and that have actually changed their uh, plumage or behaviors and things like that um, to fit different habitats. We also went to uh, really high alpine areas to look for 
Great crowned rosy finches, which are finches that like to feed on snowbanks, uh, on the edges of snowbanks uh, that are melting to get the frozen insects and things like that. Um, we didn't actually see any, but we did get to see some amazing views up there. Uh, the golden eagles have been seen here, and it's just a really, really uh, interesting place to be. And then, again, this kind of, uh, this is Tahoe City, I, kind of a denser woodland area on the mountains. Um, you'll see actually that as you go higher up the mountains, changing elevations, you'll get to, you start to get different plant communities and different bird communities along with that. So, um, you know, that last picture, this panorama was above the tree line, way above the tree line. So uh, any trees that were growing up there were stunted and small and, and uh, adapted to weathering the harsh conditions up there. but. As you move further down and into valleys and areas with different rainfall, you get uh, changing habitat. So these are some of our shots from, from the trip. Uh, top left there is a northern goshawk. We actually saw it come across the road uh, holding a small mammal, and then it stayed on a log and picked at it for a while, so we got some really good looks at that. Uh, a male pileated woodpecker, a mountain bluebird, and then a black-throated sparrow, middle left right there. Uh, and then another one of those white-crowned sparrows next to it. That bird at the bottom right is uh, a black-crowned night heron, like the one at the beginning of the, of the show. Uh, and then a yellow-headed blackbird, a American dipper on the, on the very bottom left, and then a snipe. So, like I mentioned before, um, we were looking for evidence of, of breeding behavior in birds. We were looking for nests. Um, that top left shot uh, is actually one I got. Um, it's a western wood peewee on a nest. And so you can see how different, um, how different the nests of different birds can be. So at the top left with the wood peewee, you have a cup nest. Uh, and then the bird on the right, um, top right, is a pygmy nuthatch. Uh, a cavity nester, so it nests in holes and trees. You can actually see it's carrying something, a little white blob in its beak. That's that's a fecal sac. Yeah, exactly. Um, they when the when the nestlings um, you know defecate in the nest, the adults it, it comes out in a little sac, and the adults will actually take that and ferry it out of the nest, so it doesn't uh, contaminate the inside, so the nestlings don't get sick, things like that. Uh, there at the bottom left is a Swainson's hawk and, and three little chicks. Yeah. And then at the bottom right are two Say's Phoebe fledglings. Uh, we, that was actually the first uh, record of breeding Say's Phoebes uh, in the county where we found them. So now, now that you kind of have a sense of um, bird life in California, uh, now we can get to, to, to metabolic. That's, that's us right there, a little circle. Um, that's the river to our right, runs up and down the map. Uh, I got this map from a website called eBird, and eBird is a citizen science program uh, that encourages, well, it's uh, a way for people to log bird sightings, um, and then it compiles all the sightings onto maps and databases and uh, it creates all sorts of useful data uh, for ornithologists and uh, ecologists and a whole bunch of other people to use. So you'll see on the map there are all these little pinpoints right there. Um, the blue or the green ones um, have a higher density of uh, a higher number of species uh, 
for each hotspot. These are what are called hotspots, where if you see a, uh, if you make a checklist of bird sightings that you've seen, um, you can report it to a certain area, and it'll show you on the map where people have seen certain birds. Uh, so the green ones are a higher number of species, and the blue ones are uh, lower. On this map here, uh, you'll see there are some orange ones and some yellow ones, which are an even higher number. Uh, these are uh, in the high 200s, so almost reaching 300 number, 300 species. This is Sepulveda Basin, uh, and that's Hanson Dam Basin. Uh, this is actually, like Lauren was saying, um, both of these places are uh, flood control basins in the LA River. So, much like the floodplains would have done before, what what happens here is that. Water that comes out of the main channel of the river um, creates sort of this riparian habitat, marsh habitat, that birds really, really uh, take advantage of. Um, so you'll see there, there's a really high number of species found in both of these areas. Hahamunga uh, watershed, too, um, has a lot of birds. And you'll see that uh, the habitat that, that is created here as a result of the water flowing out of the main channel uh, of the river is, is really different. You can see um, over here how, how the habitat changes from place to place. Uh, and that's actually something that birds really, really need is that sort of uh, mosaic pattern of habitat where they can use it for different purposes, for breeding or for foraging or for things like that. And so... Um, and one of the other things that I did this summer was uh, I, in addition to working here at the studio, um, I worked at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles uh, with, with Kimball Garrett, uh, who's the collections manager there. And Kimball Garrett and the Natural History Museum do a lot of research um, on uh, L.A. River birds and L.A. River uh, habitats, uh, ecology, that kind of thing. So... One of the, the, the main thing that they found from their research is that birds need this kind of mosaic habitat where um, they can, there, there's cover, there's food, there's nesting sites, and a whole bunch of things like that. Also, um, areas, uh, so well, here, here are some of the birds you can find um, along the LA River. Wow. So that at the top left is a snowy egret, that's a black necked stilt, uh, gray blue heron. Those are American widgeons. That's a great egret. Cinnamon teal. Uh, American white pelicans. And at the front there, a little double-crested cormorant. Uh, and a mallard duck with ducklings. As we've, I've seen, and I'm sure other people have seen too here at the studio. So another thing um, that the research um, from the Natural History Museum and um, just investigations into bird migration uh, and the L.A. River have found is that uh, the lower part of the river, sort of south of downtown, um, is really important for migratory shorebirds like these western sandpipers. Uh, even though it sort of often gets overlooked by um, conservationists and people working with the river because it's just all concrete, um, it is an important uh, migratory corridor for for a huge number of uh, species that are passing through. They stop there to uh, to feed and to rest, and so it's really important as a tool for them to continue their migration and really important to the population in general. So that's that's something that they found as well. In addition to um, the uh, 
to the dense or to the different kinds of habitat. So, as Lauren said, um, I have been here for a while over the summer, and working um, at the moon, I've gotten to observe um, a few birds. So here are some of the birds that I've seen: uh, barn swallow, um, rock pigeon, which is, you know, a feral pigeon, but technically not a native. Uh, Barn swallows, you, you can see here during the summer um, along the river, they, uh, th that's a common raven. I'll just go ahead and put all these up. That's a northern rough-winged swallow, red-tailed hawk, uh, Allen's hummingbird, say a uh, black phoebe, house finch, western kingbird, uh, American crow, Anna's hummingbird, mallard, turkey vulture, northern mockingbird, and Northern Mockingbird. So uh, the house sparrow and the pigeon aren't natives, but the rest of these birds are. And um, it's been really interesting to see what I can find here. Uh, the birds like the turkey vultures and the red-tailed hawks you'll see flying over, and the mallards are ne nesting along the edges of the river. They use uh, the river for food, and you'll see barn swallows and northern ruffling swallows here during Oh, there's also uh, lesser goldfinch and uh, western gulls, too. Uh, you'll see a lot of these birds um, either flying over or using the areas around the river um, for, for whatever purposes. And uh, one of the other things that... Uh, one of the things that the Natural History Museum and uh, that, that research kind of... Uh, Discovered was that the best one, one of the main um, one of the best ways to help birds and one of the things that birds need the most is habitat on the edges of the river. So, in thinking about what Metabolic Studio and uh, you know everyone can do moving forward to help birds along the LA River, um, which is I think really what's what's going on is undeveloping or creating real habitat on the edges of the river, along the sides of the river, to allow it to do what it once did, which was create all these floodplains and have really diverse habitat that birds need on the sides of the river and all along it. So I think that uh, as metabolic, as we continue to um, work uh, at the moon and, and, and doing all of, all of the stuff that we're doing, I think that uh, it's really going to be helping the birds as well, because creating habitat and not only creating habitat, but thinking about how our our projects, how all of this um, is affecting and working with the birds and the natural processes of the ecosystem around us um, is really, really, really beneficial towards uh, helping the river and all of the birds around it, you know, recuperate and uh, function as they once did. So moving forward, I think that's, that's a really great thing that's happening here, um, and it's really necessary, too. So, oh, see the wax one, too. <laughs> um, so another thing that I've been doing um, over, the summer, or, yeah, over the summer here is taking the clay from, uh, from the moon and using it to make these, make these paints, and I've been painting birds that I see uh, at the moon, um, and and here too. I mean, uh, that there at the, at the, down at the bottom right is a northern ruffling swallow we saw before, and then a red-tailed hawk and a common raven.
uh, which are, you know, the most common birds you'll see down at the moon. So uh, I really think that um, this was a cool project to work on because it, it involved taking that the clay with, with its own history of, of the river and everything like that and using it to um, create art that reflects what the river is now and what we can do moving forward because uh, we have a lot, we have a really great opportunity to um, help the birds in what we're doing because, like I said, um, creating habitat on, along the edges of the river and things like that. Um, it really helps the birds, and I think that in my art, I've tried to uh, bring that message into into what I'm what I'm doing here. So uh, this was a really interesting project to work on. I mean, thanks. Uh, I've been working with Alex. He's helped me uh, with the paints and things like that. So and the ideas for the projects and everything. So thank you as well. Uh, these are some other sketches I did of the Metabolic Roadrunner and um, birds I've seen at Metabolic Studio there at the top. So, that's Beautiful. it. <laughs> Is there anything you wanted to talk about? Like anything that interested you or questions or, or anything? I mean, yes. Which birds are most Uh, Well, it depends on where. Um, do you mean in the river or just in California in general? Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of the birds, like the woodland birds, like the songbirds, uh, migratory songbirds that are losing habitat, um, those are the ones that are really getting hit hard by habitat loss and sort of degradation of the quality of the habitat that there is. So migratory birds and um, and smaller songbirds like that are the ones that are getting hit with the hardest. Uh, and, you know, uh, climate change is also affected uh, food supplies on the coast for seabirds. Um, it's changing their uh, ecology. It's changing um, the ways that they've had to uh, adapt to food shortages and um, abundances and things like that. So uh, it's uncertain how they're going to be able to cope with that. Um, there's also... What was I going to say? Um, yeah, I think that was, that was with, the, with the seabirds, so... Yes. You talk about songbirds <clears throat> as a special group. Um, do all birds have songs or not really? Not all birds have songs. Uh, songbirds, when I, when I say songbirds, I really mean passerines, passeriforms, uh, which is a specific group of birds, um, like here, uh, well, let me find some good examples, like, like the tanager, the western tanager, and uh, the dipper, as opposed to, and those are birds that have really specialized um, uh, anatomy that allows them to uh, sing really complex songs and things like that. Uh, they also have, um, they're also called perching birds, so they have uh, different foot anatomy that allows them to perch on branches and things like that, um, as opposed to something like uh, a raptor here, like a Swainson's hawk or a goshawk, or um, that those kind of birds, uh, the crane, um, the quail, aren't aren't songbirds either. So uh, they don't have the ability to sing complex songs. They don't have the behavior that goes along with those songs, um, which is things like uh, territory uh, defense and advertising to mates through song and things like that. 
um, what, what we would call a bird and what is traditionally thought of as a dinosaur. I mean, there's really no distinction when you go back and, and even now. Um, a lot of the dinosaurs like uh, Velociraptor or uh, Dromaeosaurus or Deinonychus or things like that um, actually evolved from animals that uh, were could fly. And so when as they evolved, they lost their ability to fly, uh, but they retained all their feathers. And so if you were to see um, a Velociraptor or a Deinonychus, you would... Uh, I mean, if we were to see those a lot today, we would call them birds. They look so similar to birds that um, they're essentially birds with teeth and claws. So. Did you hear about, like, in China, I don't know how many years ago, they found a fossil, I think it's called, like, a microraptor? Yes. The size of a pigeon that had four Yes. Microraptor um, is... It's pretty cool. China, uh, places of, like, like in the Liaoning province and a whole bunch of other sites are really, really um, productive in terms of uh, feathered dinosaur fossils. Uh, and that's, I think this is a Cynorithosaurus. Um, yes. So uh, you showed us the birds that you've observed, but there are certainly others too. Oh, yeah, you know, like, I mean, I walk over the river every day. There's the, the heron, the yeah. white egret, and the osprey. Yeah, ospreys are here too. Uh, you know, ospreys are, are, are um, here in, um, in large numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been interesting to see how um, their movement patterns have changed since with the construction uh, in, adjacent to this river. Because yeah. they used to come into the Anabolic Monument, which was in the state park. And since the state park has been under construction, they've they're, they're, they're made their way closer to Elysian Park. Yeah. Um, and even um, they've they found their way into, um, um, I see a lot of uh, the, uh, the birds in the um, egg-raised greenway. So it's interesting that they go where the love is. Yeah, you know, where and the food is. And where the construction like is, it, it can totally disrupt a whole, yeah. whole um, If you, like, uh, on this map, one of the maps, um, you'll see, uh, I think it's this one. Um, here, let me make it full screen again. All of these little dots here are places where people have seen large numbers of birds. Um, and all in here in the park, uh, in this area, um, ospreys, ospreys get reported quite often in there. So um, as whether it's flyovers or uh, meaning people have just seen them flying, flying past or things like that. But yeah, they've definitely been seen um, all around this area. And the blue heron and the egret, the white egrets are, are there's even um, upstream for um, Atwater villages. There's a big variety of, of birds because uh, that's where the river bottom is not concrete. Exactly. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, those sort of soft bottom parts of the river are where um, you know the plants can come up and. Uh, there's a lot more food for birds, so that's where you see um, a lot of uh, a high number of species of birds uh, on the main channel of the river, as opposed to in one of the uh, basins um, on on the outskirts. Yeah. California in general, or uh, yeah, in LA. I I haven't seen um, kestrels really 
Do you, well, it depends if, if you mean L.A. County or like in the city. Uh, they, I've seen them um, in sort of open habitat around that, but I... That, that would be interesting to look into. I, I don't know. Um, oh, noise pollution and light pollution are big problems for birds anywhere you get um, a big city like uh, like L.A. Um, because their migratory paths are so uh, so old and they're so programmed into the birds' uh, minds that uh, they're able to navigate and follow the same pathways every year. Um, and they've done that for thousands of years, that once you start putting cities up in the middle of their migratory pathway, uh, you get window collisions and uh, birds getting disoriented and a whole uh, a whole array of consequences as a result of that. Yeah. 
um, for a number of reasons. Um, and one of the things that we worked with was the fact that they would dislodge swallows. Yeah. Um, so was, that, that was one where we did. I don't remember you mentioning, but they seemed to invite back. Oh, yeah, over here on, on the... Uh, the birds that I've seen, the, the barn swallow there, and then the northern rough wing swallow. Um, those are the two most common ones here, and you'll see them all the time in the river, just swooping down and getting insects and uh, sitting up in the under the bridges and um, and things like that. They like to nest uh, in overhanging areas like that. So the river, um, whether through bridges or uh, basin habitats or soft bottoms, it's a really good place for a lot of residential birds to nest. So not only do birds um, pass by here and use it as a rest stop or a food area, um, a lot of birds nest here too. So um, it comes with its own community. The river comes with its own community of nesting birds that rely on it for nesting habitat, like the swallows. And that was one of the ones I, I painted too. So my, my question was going to be um, about... Solar fields, um, well, they they affect really like the big um, desert habitats. Uh, do you mean like uh, like outside of the like the hatchery and I have to look into that. I don't I don't know. I I do remember um, reading about wind turbines um, yeah. causing a lot of fatalities with high soaring birds like that where. Um, They'll be up there at the level where the wind turbines are, a lot of raptors especially, um, so they're vulnerable to that too. But uh, the condors, um, for a while, I, I know of several times where I think they have to make uh, the telephone wires a certain distance apart whereby the, the condors can't connect both wires with their wings, um, and they have a huge wingspan. So, yeah, I, I, that's, that's, um, it seems really interesting to look into. So. My last question for you was about your paintings. Oh, yeah. Um, I was just wondering about your process. Are you using photos to generate those? Yeah, I, yeah. usually what I do is, so that I'm not copying the photo directly, well, the best case, for, uh, what I like to do best is do it by observation, so just sit outside and, and sketch birds and do that kind of thing. Um, but when I'm doing a painting like this, I, I try to reference um, a few different photos so that I get... Um, a sense of, well, if it's a bird well, I know well enough, I, I'll just draw it um, and then use photos as reference for the colors. Um, but I'll use different photos for different parts so that I can get a position in and block it in, and then I'll just take it, uh, just use photos as color reference sometimes. But it, it really varies with the bird. My question was actually very similar to Lawrence about how um, when I fly over. Right, they just disintegrate. As soon as they hit that 
um, ways to use uh, both sides of their ecologies together and um, like the hummingbirds as pollinators um, the native plants attract hummingbirds and the hummingbirds you know spread that around um, and sort of the whole idea of uh, them using that and, and spreading the seeds of the native plants um, is what is what helps them and they'll take they'll they'll use the native plants um, I mean they'll use the non-native plants but uh, it, it's better to encourage them to use the well it's the native plants are you know what they've been using for thousands of years so have there been any non-natives yeah, the bottle brush, um, the red bottle brush, hummingbirds love bottle brush. species um, by quite a few I mean that, that's a relative term we have maybe four uh, in this general area we have Eurasian colored doves we have um, house sparrows rock pigeons uh, and European starlings so uh, the European starlings um, it's, it was thought that since they're also cavity nesters um, it was thought that they'd outcompete the native birds. Um, they give them, they put uh, additional pressure on the native birds as competition for nesting areas. But um, there's been research that's been done on um, the nesting habits of both the native birds and the starlings. And uh, it seems that the native birds are doing okay with the starlings. Um, but they, the, the story of the starlings is pretty. Um, Interesting. Uh, there were about 50 of them that were released in Central Park, I think. Um, maybe, I, I want to say, in the, in the 19th century. Um, Central Park, New York? Yes. And they were brought there because they were mentioned in the works of Shakespeare. And they, uh, yeah, and they wanted to bring them over to, uh, be, because they were part of um, his mentioning was there. So they let them go, and now there are billions of them. Um, so they have really, really uh, spread their um, their populations. Oh, I forgot. Uh, there are a few species of um, non-native uh, parrots and parakeets that are here, too. Yeah. Yeah, so much so. And those have kind of um, established naturalized populations here. I mean, you know, the pigeons and the starlings and the doves also had to. Uh, and the sparrows, but uh, it's to the point where with some species there are more of them here than there are in their native uh, range, so um, but there is a lot of, sometimes you will get uh, competition, like with the house sparrows um, they tend to uh, 
take over cavity nests like uh, I've done I, I did a project at my school where I uh, put out bluebird boxes um, because western bluebirds also nest in cavities and so um, they in, in some cases you'll see competition from the house sparrows uh, that will just go in and kill the nestlings of other birds and just uh, really try and um, take over the nesting sites so uh, and also um like in the case of the Eurasian collared dove, uh, they they have done they were brought here. Um, I can't remember where, but uh, they spread their population and um, they got so far uh, into um, northern uh, North America that, uh, like in Wyoming and places like that, that um, they went up there. They did great during the summer, but then when the winter hit. Uh, Afterwards, you would see birds with toes missing because their toes frozen, had frozen off, or things like that. They just hadn't uh, weren't able to cope with that. Although with um, the Eurasian collar doves, it's now it's possible that um, they're filling the niche that was left by the passenger pigeons. Um, there used to be uh, an incredible amount, an incredible number of passenger pigeons in North America, and. Um, to the point where it would take two hours for a flock to pass by and would completely darken out the sun. Um, and so it's, it's thought that maybe uh, because the passenger pigeon and the Eurasian collar dove are pretty similar in terms of um, size and appearance and things like that, but also uh, how how they use the habitat. So um, that, that's been something that's kind of been proposed. There are a few species. Um, there are a few species of uh, sparrow, like I think um, uh, grasshopper. I don't know if it's grasshopper sparrows, but they're different. I, I know what you're um, talking about. It's like I want to say either salt marsh sparrows or um, it, it's a different group of sparrows than the white crown, but but um, they're they they are declining and becoming endangered. Well, thank you so right. much. Yeah, of course. Thank you for letting me talk to you for uh, an hour. Uh, <laughs> it's about birds. I love this. So, thank you. We hope you enjoyed the latest Explorers Club session. For more information, please visit metabolicstudio.org. And thank you.